Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. everyone and welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a very common classroom management system. I get questions all about this classroom management system, specifically how to utilize it or how to make the best use of it in your classroom. So I just thought I'd do an entire episode on it and just talk about my recommendations for this specific classroom management system, as well as for classroom management systems that can be really effective in your classroom. So let's just get right into it. All right, so this very common classroom management system is a level system, or some people refer to it as a clip-up, clip-down chart. I know that sometimes a clip-up, clip-down chart is different than a level system, but I thought in general, we would just kind of talk about leveling systems in general in the classroom. So whether you are placing kids on a clip-up, clip-down chart, or you have specific levels in your classroom, like a red level, a green level, a blue level, whatever it might be, and how students move throughout those levels, So I thought I'd just talk about these as a whole and my recommendations for them and how to utilize different classroom management techniques in your classroom so that you are maximizing student success. So let's just get right into it. So I'm sure you've seen them or these leveling systems. Usually they're like color charts within a classroom. Again, they can be like those clip up, clip down charts or just like general level systems where teachers have like a red level, a blue level, a green level, a yellow level, whatever it might be. And students move up and down these charts based on their level of behavior each day or throughout the week or, you know, whatever the contingency that is set up in the classroom. Essentially, there's movement amongst the levels based on behavior. So usually students start at like the green zone or like the ready to learn zone and they move up for appropriate behavior and they move down for inappropriate or undesired behavior in the classroom. Okay, so my very first recommendation for these types of systems is not to use them. And I'll get into why in the rest of this episode, but my general overall recommendation is that there's so many different strategies that we can be using. And these level systems or these clip up, clip down charts inherently bring a lot of shame to students, especially because of the public nature of them. And that is not the best way to invoke behavior change in our classrooms. with these level systems, we don't build a lot of skills. So I'm going to talk all about that later in a more organized fashion. But I just wanted to say, if you just tuned into this episode to hear about my recommendations, my first recommendation is not to use them. And there's a bunch of other classroom management strategies that we can utilize in the classroom. So I do want to say this episode is not to shame anyone for using these types of classroom management systems, but instead to provide a rationale for the use of alternative methods. It is very well known that college prep programs don't provide enough training when it comes to classroom management. Therefore, often these systems are used based on something seen on the internet like Pinterest or a recommendation from a colleague that has some sort of success with it in their classroom. 
I don't believe in any way that teachers utilize these systems to intentionally embarrass students or intentionally shame students in any way. It's more of a once you know about different strategies that you can use in your classroom, then you can use different strategies that are more geared towards building skills and maximizing student success. So again, I get asked a lot about these types of charts and while public posting or performance posting is an evidence-based strategy within like the sports field and everywhere, I'm not aware of the research that supports the use of clip up, clip down charts within the classroom setting. So there might be research out there. I'm just not aware of it. I do think that there are better ways that we can go about managing behavior in our classroom. Therefore, again, I don't recommend these for the use within a classroom setting. Additionally, in terms of classroom management, I do not recommend writing students' names on the board if they're engaging in inappropriate behavior or denoting any type of public way that a student is presenting with challenging behavior in your classroom. And I don't recommend these types of interventions for several reasons. One of which being that I focus on interventions that teach students skills. So for engaging in some type of intervention within the classroom, my focus is always on how is this building a skill and in increasing independence. And I know I'm making this very general statement knowing I'm painting broad strokes in terms of the traditional way these types of clip up, clip down, or level systems are used. If a student engages in appropriate behavior, they move up and if they don't, they move down. Moving down typically involves a consequence like a call home or time outside the classroom. Either of these options don't usually focus on teaching a skill. It should be noted that the main issue I see with them is the public nature of them and the moving down part of them. Often when students move down, they, they're not moved up for engaging in appropriate behavior because the belief is that students cannot not have a consequence for their inappropriate behavior, even if later in the day they engage in more appropriate behavior. And again, if there's no skill building attached to being moved down, it doesn't meet the standard I have for prioritizing interventions. So again, if you're utilizing this in your classroom and you do have some sort of skill building component to if you a student is commonly moved down, then you're working on some sort of skill, that's different. I'm saying, again, with very general strokes, a lot of times what I see is that when students are moved down, they don't necessarily get a chance to move back up because the thought is that if they move down, there needs to be a consequence to their behavior and the consequence is whatever those levels denote, whether it's a call home or time out of the classroom or missed recess or choice time or whatever it might be. So if you're thinking about implementing different interventions in your classroom, I always, always recommend that you ask yourself, does this intervention help teach skills in the classroom and does it increase independence? Because those are two very big learning targets for all of our interventions. And when it comes to implementing interventions in your classroom, we all know that feasibility leads to fidelity. And so if we are prioritizing which interventions we're going to utilize so that we can implement them feasibly with fidelity in our classroom, I always, always prioritize the interventions that are helping me build skills and increase independence of the students because that's how we maximize student success. For example, if I recommend to a teacher to use a visual schedule with a student, this increases independence. It creates predictability and provides structure which can be really great tools for a student. Therefore, I typically recommend this type of intervention. Another example of an intervention I don't typically recommend would be the loss of recess. If we look at it through the lens of is this teaching a skill or building independence, losing recess doesn't really do either of these things. Sitting out of recess just to watch other kids play doesn't teach or increase independence with our students. I may eventually do an entire episode about how I utilize this lens of skill building and independence to prioritize interventions sometime in the future, but for right now, know that that's the lens I typically tell teachers to use when selecting and prioritizing interventions.
All right, so just to bring us back to the clip up, clip down, or leveling systems, another main reason I don't recommend this intervention is, along with the other reasons that I've already stated, it's typically not culturally responsive or trauma-informed, and if you're utilizing any type of intervention in your classroom, I'm hoping that we are coming at it from a culturally responsive and trauma-informed way so that it is maximizing the success of all of our students. So now that I've just spent about eight minutes talking about what I don't recommend, let's talk about what I do recommend. Well, since for the most part, these types of interventions are whole group interventions, so meaning that um, those types of classroom management systems are utilized at the whole group level, so the whole class is participating in this intervention, here are a few whole group interventions I think are very beneficial in the classroom setting. One would be building classroom community. Nothing will ever replace a strong classroom community. I've talked about this program before, but I believe that Actively Caring for People program is a great program to provide structure and supports if you're looking for more resources about building community in your classroom. Go ahead and look up that program. There's a teacher guide to implementing that program. The program does use some external incentives, these wristbands for engaging in actively caring for people, different learning targets within that program. However, you don't have to use that piece of it. Um, I don't typically recommend using that piece of it. I recommend using that framework to build a community inside of a classroom, especially if you're looking for more structure around how to build a classroom community. Again, I don't think that this is touched on enough in classroom or teacher prep programs and utilizing some sort of structure or framework for utilizing that in your classroom can be really helpful launching off point for you. So I highly recommend just looking into the actively caring for people program and really focusing on building a strong classroom community because again, nothing will replace that in your classroom. Another intervention or type of intervention I typically recommend would be group contingencies. And group contingencies are a fancy way of saying group rewards. So in the field of ABA, we have three different types of group contingencies that we typically talk about and they're called independent group contingencies, dependent group contingencies, and interdependent group contingencies. And again, these are just like fancy ways of talking about different ways that we can utilize reinforcement-based systems in the classroom or as a whole group intervention. So let's talk about these a little bit more and how you can actually implement these in your classroom. So for each of these group contingencies, the same expectations are set for all of the students and there is access to an available backup reinforcer based on certain criteria of engagement with appropriate behavior. So the expectations should be on building skills and increasing independence and creating a positive classroom community. Additionally, the consequence for not engaging in the expectations should focus on targeted skill building based on data collected and lagging skills that prevent the student from engaging in that appropriate behavior. In this way, group contingencies pass my standard for increasing skills and independence. There can be practitioners that you don't use it in this way, but this is the way that I'm recommending you use it to increase and maximize the success of all of your students. So for the independent group contingency, all the students can earn praise, points, tickets, whatever it might be, based on engagement with the classroom expectations. Usually these function best on an intermittent schedule of reinforcement, and then that you're not providing reinforcement for each instance of the behavior, but whenever you see them engaging in that appropriate behavior. It would be impossible for teachers to catch every instance of appropriate behavior for every student in their classroom, Therefore, the best way to use this inside of a group contingency would be on that intermittent schedule, meaning that whenever you see a student engaging in that appropriate behavior, you're providing some type of reinforcement for it based on whatever you decide in your classroom, whether that's praise, points, tickets, whatever it might be. 
Whenever the teacher decides at the end of the week or the month or whatever it might be, students then exchange whatever they earned for access to backup reinforcers. So think sometimes like classroom store in this type of model where students are earning some type of reinforcer and then they later exchange it for a backup reinforcer and they're earning this on an independent level, meaning that each student is earning their own reinforcers and then exchanging it for their own backup reinforcer, okay? So again, think like classroom store, that's like the best way to visualize this, but there's a ton of different ways you can utilize this in your classroom. If you don't have a classroom store or don't wanna utilize a classroom store in your classroom, there's a ton of different ways you can use it. For example, the one way that I typically recommend if you're not gonna go the classroom store route is that um, allowing students access to different activities within your classroom based on the reinforcers that they've earned. So say you have like extra choice time for five tickets or you have access to like a game station or computer or something like that for 10 tickets, whatever it might be, you don't necessarily have to have a classroom store but access to different activities for different tickets and students will then access those based on whatever schedule you decide. So if it's every week, every month, to, students will save up whatever reinforcers they're earning so that they can have access to them at a later date. A major advantage to this system is that students earn rewards based on their own personal behavior as opposed to the behavior of the group. A disadvantage would be the feasibility of this program, right? It's hard to manage that at times. It's hard to manage providing students with reinforcers on an intermittent schedule, especially because they're a very individual basis, right? So this one might be a little bit harder to manage. So if you're looking for something simpler, listen to the next two group contingencies because these ones are a little bit easier to manage within your classroom. Another group contingency is called the dependent group contingency, and this is sometimes referred to as the hero strategy, in which one student or a small group of students are the heroes for the day, and the class gets to access the reward based on those students' behaviors. So for example, if you pick two students to be the heroes, you would pay attention to their behavior and allow the whole class access to a reward based on those students' behaviors. It's important to note that this works most successfully when the hero students are a mystery to the class. It also encourages all of the students to be engaging in appropriate behavior because they don't know if they're the hero student or not. So that's one way that you can implement this type of system by just selecting one or two students to focus on, focus on their behavior. Are they meeting the expectations for the day? And then what you would do is you would allow access to a reinforcer at the end of the day or you could just have the students build up the number of days in a row that they had students meet those expectations. So what that typically would look like is on Monday, you might pick two mystery students, you would focus on their behavior, and you might have like put a star on the board, okay, today we earned the reinforcer, or today um, those students were engaging in appropriate behavior. Then on Tuesday, you would do the same thing, and then on Wednesday and Thursday, and you keep denoting on your board or somewhere that the students were on the right track, right? You guys were engaging in appropriate behavior, and then and based on whatever schedule, maybe at the end of the week or the end of two weeks, if you earned enough stars, then the whole class would have access to a backup reinforcer. So that increases the feasibility of this program. Again, we're looking for feasible interventions in terms of you might not be giving them, you know, choice time or some sort of group activity at the end of every day, but every couple of days, every week, every two weeks, whatever fits best in your classroom. So a major advantage of this program, again, it's a little bit more feasible than the independent group contingency because you're only focusing on certain students' behaviors. Somewhat of a disadvantage would be that this is not exactly the most feasible program. The next intervention that we're gonna talk about is the most feasible program that you can implement in your classroom. So again, if you're looking for an intervention that's very, very feasible to implement, you might wanna hold off for the last one. 
So the last one is called the interdependent group contingency. And in this group contingency, the whole class has the same expectations and the whole class earns a reinforcer based on the behavior of the collective class. This is often done based on a class earning points for engaging in appropriate behavior. And once they have so many points, they get access to something as a class. This is the easiest and most feasible group contingency and there's a lot of research to support it. So what this might look like is that you have some different expectations for your students and whenever you see the whole class is engaging in those expectations, the whole class would earn a point or something along those lines and then later they can exchange those points for a whole class reward or once they meet a certain criteria for a number of points then they earn the whole class reward. Again, a huge advantage of this one is that it's really the easiest one to implement because you're looking at the whole class's behavior and you are taking into account the collective class. So you're not looking at individual students' behavior or small groups of students' behaviors, but this is just one different classroom management strategy that you can utilize that is backed by evidence that helps build our skills of our students and increase independence because that's what we're going to focus our expectations on. So if you focus your expectations on how we're building skills and increasing independence, and then you're providing reinforcement for them as a collective class, you're really maximizing the success of your entire class. One specific intervention that falls within the interdependent group contingency is called the mystery motivator. And this intervention falls within, again, the interdependent group contingency in which a reinforcer is placed inside of an envelope, usually just like a post-it or a piece of paper with something written on it, like extra choice time or free time or whatever it might be um, that the students want to work for. Typically, if I was utilizing this, I would have all the students write something that they want to work for on a post-it and then collect all of them, kind of sift through all the ones that are like feasible, like some kids might write on there like they want chocolate cake every day or something and that's not necessarily a feasible reinforcer to utilize in the classroom so we might take that one out but it really asks the students what reinforcers they want to work for and then every day or every week whatever you know your contingency is you pick one of the post-its you put it in the envelope and then you post the envelope on a board or a public place so that students can see it and then as students are engaging in those expectations they're earning points towards what's ever in the envelope and then it's like a big surprise whenever they earn the required number of points to open the envelope and earn the reinforcer. So those are typically the interventions that I would recommend or the type of intervention that I would recommend in your classroom. Again, there's a lot of different ways to carry out those types of interventions in your classroom and finding a feasible way for you to carry those out is what is going to make them the most successful in your classroom. But if you're asking yourself, how do these interventions increase skills and independence? That's a really fair question to ask, right? Because remember at the beginning, I talked about that's the lens that I base the interventions that I'm prioritizing in a classroom off of. Are they building skills? Or are they increasing independence? Well, by reinforcing appropriate behavior, you're helping build skills of our students based on the expectations in your classroom. And assuming the expectations you have are focused on building skills and increasing independence, and usually in general focus on being a kind member of the community, these interventions fit that standard. Say for instance, one of your expectations is to use kind words with others. Reinforcing this skill continues to build the skill within our students with the intention that it will eventually be reinforced by naturally occurring reinforcers in the form of others being kind back, right? So that's building skills and allowing a natural contingency to take place once we've built those skills of showing kindness and being kind towards others. Additionally, if you're taking data when engaging with these interventions, you can identify students who might need more help or might be struggling with some of the expectations and provide them with tier two level supports needed to build these skills further. Data can be an influential tool in building tiered supports right inside of your classroom. 
These interventions lend themselves well to building those types of supports and taking that type of data and that you can identify students who might not be meeting the expectations. Therefore, they need extra support with those skills to help meet those expectations. So you just take some data intermittently, sampling data within your classroom thing, and then provide some sort of tier two intervention with directed and targeted skill building towards that skill. So you're increasing independence and building that skill over time. So again, these are the alternatives to clip up, clip down charts or level systems within your classroom. Again, the intention of this episode is not to call out teachers who use those types of systems, but just to provide alternatives to those systems if you're seeking out an alternative way to manage behavior in your classroom or implement some sort of classroom management strategy. So that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in learning about different interventions that you can implement in your classroom, I do have an entirely free behavior intervention guide in the description of this episode. So if you go down the description of the episode, click on the link that takes you right to that free guide. It is filled with different behavioral interventions that you can implement in your classroom with examples of how to implement them across all different age levels. So if you're an elementary teacher or a middle school or high school teacher, you will find examples of how to implement those strategies with the grade level of students that you're working with. And it is a completely free 20 page guide for you to utilize in your classroom to help build skills and increase independence. If you have any questions or you want to talk about this topic further, feel free to follow me over on Instagram at Teaching Behavior Together. I would be happy to answer any of your questions. Also follow me for daily tips and content on different behavioral and social emotional learning targets or skills that we can be teaching our students. Thank you again so much for listening. I hope it was helpful and have a great rest of the day.